Welcome to Regal's RyeCast, where we share all things LiDAR. I'm Nikita Gridden, Training Coordinator for Regal USA. This series features interviews with industry experts from around the world, innovative LiDAR applications, best practices, workflow advice, and updates regarding Regal hardware and software. The podcasts are produced by Regal at our North American headquarters, located in Central Florida, and available worldwide through our Regal newsroom on www.regal.com as well as other podcast platforms. Please visit our website to subscribe to the Regal Newsroom to find out more today. In today's RyeCast, we continue the celebration of the 10 years of success with the VMX series with Josh France and Clay Wagnant. Clay is a mobile LiDAR innovator at Mazer Consulting who has worked with the VMX 450 on some brilliant projects, including the Eisenhower-Johnson Tunnel System and the Washington Metro System. These GNSS-denied environments created interesting situations for Clay's team, but were able to overcome these challenges with perseverance and the reliability of the VMX450 system. Clay also offers some great advice on project management and his intuition regarding the future of mobile LiDAR. Let's listen in on Josh's interview. Welcome back to my series of interviews on the VMX, looking back on the last 10 years of its operational success. Today, I'm speaking with one of the early pioneers of mobile mapping systems, Clay Wagnant. He currently leads the mobile division at Mazer Consulting since around about 2013 and has grown their mobile mapping team to include two systems and many experienced and well-trained personnel. His experience with commercially available mobile mapping systems starts just a bit ahead of the VMX back in 2008. So he has a little bit more experience than the VMX does. Clay provides a very measured and detail-oriented approach to laser scanning, and the results of this approach are seen every day in his excellent and exciting projects he and his team have completed. Mazer Consulting is a nationwide, privately-owned, multi-discipline engineering firm with a new, unique balance of public and private sector experience. They have many fine offices that stretch from the East Coast and their headquarters in Red Bank, New Jersey, to the beautiful Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Clay is joining me today. So without further delay, welcome to RyeCast, Clay. Joshua, good afternoon, and thank you for those kind words and for reaching out, and, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to join you today. Yeah. So why don't we start off learning a little bit more about Mazer? Give us your 10,000-foot uh, view of it. Yeah, you know, Mazer Consulting got into the geospatial market with the first uh, Regal VMX, the 450, that they purchased in 2012. I didn't uh, come on board until 2013, um, so they'd had it about a year. Um, they had some growing pains, obviously. This this is expected and happens, right? But uh, since since that time, um, we've we've uh, consciously and methodically uh, built a, a really quality program um, around, around mobile LIDAR and around the, the uh, Regal system. And, you know, we've done some things that we believe are, or we, we look at them as firsts at, at Mazer Consulting. And, and what really stands out is some of our tunnel work that we've, that we've performed. Um, we've done some, some grand tunnels, uh, some at, uh, you know, the, uh, the Eisenhower-Johnson Tunnel, highest section of an interstate system in the United States, like at 11,000 feet. Oh, yeah. Huge, big vertical curve. Um, very unique approach to the controlling that, was, that went into it. 
you know, there was a, that was a very nice piece of work. Yeah. You know, the sheer magnitude of things would be like the Washington Metro subway system, 100 miles of tunnels there, and one segment was 21 miles long. You know, so these are things that, that push the, the, the Regal VMX to the limit of what it was designed for and what it's capable of. Could you elaborate a bit more on the Washington Metro Tunnel Project? Because that, I mean, just appreciating if you've ever been on the Washington Metro, it's a, it comes in and out of being underground. But I, I think you mainly focus was all the underground parts. And 100 miles under Washington, D.C. had to be uh, quite an engineering challenge uh, to solve or surveying challenge, I should say, uh, to solve how to properly uh, get the data to line up with something uh, that resembled control in the end, I would imagine. You know, it was a, um, you're, and you're, you're absolutely correct, that was, it was quite a challenge. Um, the, the system does run in and out of above ground and underground. Anytime, you know, with rail, access is a huge piece of the work. Yeah. This work had to be done at non-revenue times, so you're even more constrained. And then the fact that you're underground, loss of, you know, I mean, every, everything that that governs the mobile system as we know it is really out of whack except that quality IMU. Yeah. And so uh, that quality IMU that, that is in the system and, you know, and at this point, both systems have the, you know, the Atlantic 610. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an incredible piece of equipment. But that, that and a really good approach to the control and then ancillary control and utilizing the tools um, that we had available for us. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it, it just makes me weak in the knees sometimes when I think back about it. But the first piece of data we looked at, I think it was about a 12-mile section underground. Mm-hmm. And the drift in the IMU was up to 450 feet, if you can imagine. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the you know... You have to change all the parameters. <laughs> yeah, it was very scary. But you know what the grand thing was? The IMU kept it level, right? Right. So it didn't do a corkscrew, right? It just drifted off horizontally and vertically. Yeah. So we started from there and we moved it into position. And in the end, we were within a foot absolute. Which is unbelievable. Yeah. It, <laughs> sometimes it's lost on people how precise a foot can really be, Right. Because you go, oh, well, a foot, that's not very accurate. I can measure with my ruler. It's like, no, no, no. Yes, you can measure with your ruler once or twice accurately. You know, that's a relative measurement. But we're talking a foot absolute, meaning that within the earth, we know where that piece that we measured is precisely within a foot of where we said it is. That's a whole different ballgame. And I find so many times that when we talk about accuracies, we're talking millimeters, this, inches, that, and we lose sight of how really impressive just being within a foot truly is. I think that's a shame sometimes because we focus on these small little numbers and trying to be better than someone by, you know, two thousandths of a foot. And you're like, but still, it's really good uh, being a foot at absolute accuracy. I, you know, I agree. And I, I think you have to look at that, that, that big picture, right? As to what, mm-hmm. as to uh, all of a sudden, someone, you know, Washington Metro has the greatest set of data that they've ever had in the existence of the Metro, right? And like you were saying, yeah, but it's a foot off. Yes, but it's the greatest thing you've ever had. So you have to look at it in perspective, I, I believe is what, what I look at it as. 
So I was right. You were out mobile scanning back in 2008. Is that about right? That is. Uh, you know, uh, I, I worked at a different place then. We looked at the, the systems that were available at the time. And, I, uh, and we started in because of an ad in uh, POB magazine. Mm-hmm. And it was this crazy thing driving down the road with this light source coming out, right? That's the picture. Yeah, yeah. And I worked for Andy Potts at the time. And he is uh, a real true catalyst and champion of mobile LIDAR. And it, what he saw and the potential he saw was what you know we decided to move into. And he secured the funding. Um, and in two, by 2008, um, we had had uh, we had purchased the first system. It was the first, the fourth, the fourth uh, commercial system sold in the world, I believe, at the time, and the first in the right. Americas for sure. Yeah, really. Before that, it was uh, some integrators from different manufacturers that were starting to put together, you know, an IMU and a sensor, an IMU and three scanners, and it was it was tedious at best. There <laughs> were some there were some great ones out there. It was definitely a uh, it was an epic battle to get the data delivered, I think, and to keep it in calibration. Those are those are all good words, epic and tedious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I think your example of the, the Metro project really shines a light on is that we're able to take a process that used to be considered epic and tedious, uh, to enjoin those uh, phrase further, and make it something that was predictable and reliable. And... And that's sort of my big push now when I talk about the VMX is that we have a reliable and consistent workflow. So you, you can expect how it's going to behave. And it's not like every project is in a new starting over from the drawing board and figure out how to make something work that may have different results. And uh, that's been a, it's been unique seeing that uh, move along. And I'm sure you've seen that uh, in your time as well. Again, it's it's more good words. These are this is exactly correct, right? It's the it's that repeatability and the accountability that you can have in the system, even in in very challenging environments, because of the integration of the hardware and the software and how it's how it's all functioning together. And mm-hmm. so you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So other than the uh, the workflow early on, what was one of the other big challenges you kind of faced early on in mobile mapping? So like in 2008 mm-hmm. that we purchased that first unit and that was late in the summer. And by September, you know, the economy had imploded and we were at the beginning of the Great Recession. So you had here you had a, a brand new, very expensive piece of equipment, a market that didn't exist. And you had to get out and try to find a way to sell it. That was a biggie, you know. Yeah. Sheesh. But it wasn't really the biggest challenge in my mind because you can you can buckle down and you can try to figure that out. But the biggest challenge was the software, sure, or lack thereof. Hands down, it was about the software. Yeah. At that time period, it took up to seventeen different software packages to get the data out the door delivered. You know, when you look at that today, you know how we you know how we deal with it today. It's just uh, it's light years. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 17, man. 17. I, I felt bad that we had like six or seven during our first VMX delivery and we couldn't do export to survey feed. Exactly. We had, uh, just meters and UTM zones, but no, nothing else because it just, we hadn't, uh, we hadn't got to that point yet. 
where so we had to export to one software that then re-projected it and converted it to the U.S. survey feed. And then we threw in the curveball that, oh, wait, there's international feet sometimes too. And it was a, it was a great learning experience. I mean, that's for sure. So uh, you mentioned tunnel projects. What are some other interesting ways that Mazer has been using the VMX technology that you just never would have thought possible when you were first handed the keys to that first truck back in the day? The large scale, not so much network uh, type work, I would call it like a turnpike or an interstate system or something in a state or, or an entire county. I mean, those are, those are big and, and unique, but um, have been handled by different people. They usually aren't design quality. I think our design work is, um, you know, the design surveys that we've, that we've uh, managed and the um, unique geometry within those. I think that's uh, certainly something that um, is beyond what we originally thought of, of how far you could go. But really, it's, 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 it's different than that. It's more the, the amount of people and the, the team members and how many people are downstream that are using the data. That, that's something that I maybe because um, I was more focused on just trying to make the systems work at first and finding work, but having this huge group of people that, um, that are looking for the data pass through. So, you know, even, you know, even though we're a small industry, you know, is yeah. in, in, from, from a software perspective, say, you know, we've had some incredible innovation and dynamic changes, you know, from the integration of hardware and software and collection, you know, in, in the data, you know, extraction realms, Right. It's that it's that integration of system components. You know, it's allowed for the automation and some very good semblance of SOPs for field. Right. And that overriding effort of the software manufacturers to incorporate, you know, some of this dynamic data, you know, into a new approach. And so that integrated system of routines that they have created and come up with. Right. We can correlate that into another combined set of unique SOPs for different types of data extraction projects. So I look at both of these as having broadened the base you know, or these things have broadened the base and it's created uh, this really large pool. I mean, we, we started with like uh, two of us and, you know, at this point we're like our group is about up to 52 or something like that. So that's a lot of people That is yes. being uh, in the loop with uh, mobile LIDAR. That's really impressive. And then, like you said, increasing the pool of access, right? Getting the data downstream so it's not just a point cloud, but a, a set of data points that people can harness and pull information from. I see that being a really key to the expansion of this industry further is, is how do we interface with that every day? So someday we'll have to, when we get to that point where everyone sort of has like a, maybe not direct interface with a point cloud, but a little bit of that data makes it to their everyday life just beyond seeing infrastructure projects be accomplished in record times and quick turnarounds of projects. I mean, that's impressive as it is and super helpful in everybody's life. But if you actually see it or touch it every day, that's going to be a game changer in my mind. Agreed. So where do you see the future success of mobile mapping heading? Where's your futuristic crystal ball say you're going to see this in four or five years or 10 years from now even? You know, I, I think you hit on it a couple of interactions back and it's kind of about collaboration, mm-hmm. in my opinion, when I look ahead. 
right? And this collaboration between manufacturing and software development and geospatial consulting, right? It's the different needs, you know, the drawbacks and the challenges that everyone has, mm -hmm. right? I think some kind of new approach um, with super users, which we all are individually, right? This conversation is going to lead, you know, to kind of a new inner community and an approach and a response, right? Accommodating a vision that it may not even be present today or at least uh, not presently heard, mm -hmm. right? Is maybe more to the, to the point, right? So, so this new group, you know, this group we, we talked about, the, the, the group that's coming along that is in charge and going to be in charge, right? That new group will spawn new approaches and hone this industry and expand this marketplace and it'll help win the future. Right. The future is uh, is 3D. You know, that's that's our future is, is 3D. Our world is 3D. Right. It's the, the, the poet might say, you know, it's girdled in waters and leafy all around. Right. So who better, who better to get us there than a geospatial professional with the highest quality mobile LIDAR system on planet Earth? I ask you. Well, I think we can leave it right there. That was a beautiful, poetic ending. Didn't know you had that in your uh, wheelhouse, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am a different fellow. Yes, you're a man of many trades, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things I always enjoy uh, about conversations with you, Clay. Is our ability to work uh, professionally and interpersonally has always been a, uh, a cherished relationship in my mind. Well, thank you for that, and it's uh, it's felt the same here. I hope you take care of yourself and be well. Thank you so much. And uh, dittos. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of RyeCast on the VMX and its 10th anniversary. If you have a fun story to tell about the first 10 years of the VMX, make sure you send me an email at jfrance at regalusa.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. Thank you again to Clay of Mazer Consulting for your valuable insight into some truly great projects and experiences. I wish you the best and continue to create excellent data and deliver your projects to your clients. And as always, take care of one another and be well. This was Josh France, signing off. Thanks again for your time on today's RyeCast. We hope you enjoyed listening. We have many more RyeCast episodes to share, so please subscribe to Regal's RyeCast anywhere you listen to podcasts today. You, the Regal users, give us the best stories to tell. We appreciate your suggestions. Send us your ideas or comments to communications at regalusa.com. And don't forget about the Regal Ultimate LiDAR webinar series. More information is available on our international newsroom at www.regal.com. This is Nikita signing off and wishing the Regal community an Ultimate LiDAR Day. Thank you.